You guys chili? Do, do I eat chili? No, are you cold? Is it? That's ah, probably fine. Okay. I don't. I'm fine. I'm I don't wearing need a, a coat. Got my hooded sweatshirt. Russ, you look comfortable. It's probably fine. You're chilly? I mean, we'll only be here for 35, 36 minutes, right? Okay, well, that's, that's a little weird. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> hey, welcome back to the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 in under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. I'm your host, Ryan Allward, joined as always by... Proud iron owner, <laughs> Blaine Zimmerman. Why are you a proud iron owner? I just I know that I own an iron, which is I, something I just learned you did not know. I did not. I spilled a candle today in my office at home, and my wife was like, I know how to fix this. And she got a brown paper bag and an iron, and I, I knew we had brown paper bags, but I was alerted to the fact that I've lived in that home for that long and did not know that we had an iron. This is someone who clearly doesn't have a nine to five. No. I'm Otherwise, a, you would have used that iron. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a jeans man. Let's face it. And as always, we're joined as our producer and vice presidential expert, Russ. This is episode nine of the Presequential Podcast. Blaine, you not only pick out the books that we read about every president, but you name the names of the episodes. So what is episode nine named today? The Hoosier. Oh man, I love that. The book that we read, Blaine. The book is called Old Tippecanoe, William Henry Harrison and His Time. Mm. Not about watches. <laughs> it's a book by Freeman Cleves. What a good name. Which uh, was written in 1939, which explains the Freeman Cleves part. Yeah. It is 343 pages. Yes, it is. And I don't know what our tally is. You want to take a guess? No. Fourth. <laughs> no, I don't. 4,643 pages read up to this point. How do you feel about the book, first of all? It definitely reads like it was written in 1939. Yeah. yeah. I gave it about two and a half out of five stars. We we don't rank these books, but uh, I, I actually do remember we got breakfast one day and I was trying to finish catching up to you because you're like 17 books in front of me. And you were like, oh, what do you think of William Henry Harrison? I was like, I think he would have made a really good president if he didn't die like 17 minutes after becoming president. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, I agree. We'll get into yeah. why. We'll get into it. Hey, as always, we enjoy a cocktail while we're recording in honor of William Henry Harrison tonight. What are we sipping on, Blaine? W.H. Harrison bourbon mm. whiskey it is distilled and bottled here yeah. in Indiana, in Brazil, Indiana, yeah, just that... down by Terre Haute. It's pretty smooth. It's yeah. the first time I've had it. I figured if there's a bourbon named after the guy, we should probably should, yeah. give it a go. Probably have to. I'm glad that we're out of like the Madeira era where we're not sipping on just ugh, horrible things. We're drinking Indiana bourbon. Well, I mean, we never did. I know. But when I drank the red wine that Thomas Jefferson <laughs> drank, I was like, ugh. This tastes like I think Madeira would taste. Anyway, cheers, boys. Cheers to you all. Sipping on the W.H. Harrison tonight. Wherever you are, hopefully not in your car or operating heavy machinery, cheers to you. Uh, Gentlemen, what do we remember about William Henry Harrison from social studies? William Henry Harrison was from Indiana. You remembered that? Yeah. I didn't didn't get that in in social studies. Uh, Although that's not true. Exactly. <laughs> William Henry Harrison is from Virginia. That's right. Um, but they did tell us he was from Indiana when mm-hmm. we were young chaps. Uh, and I also have always remembered he was the shortest, well, not the shortest president. He had the shortest tenured presidency. Yes. James Madison was the shortest. Correct. 5'4". He's just a little guy. Yeah. Old, correct. Yeah. 
Well, you guys want to dive into William Henry Harrison? Yeah, let's do this. He was born on February 9th, 1773 in Charles City County, Virginia. His parents were Elizabeth Bassett Harrison and planter, merchant, and prominent politician Benjamin Harrison V. He was the youngest child and third son in a family of three boys and four girls. His dad was a famous patriot who served as Virginia delegate to both the First and the Second Continental Congresses. He opposed the Stamp Act, signed the Declaration of Independence, that's pretty cool, Mm -hmm. and served as governor of Virginia while William was a young lad. His wealthy slaveholding family owned Berkeley Plantation, a prosperous estate on the James River, which was attacked and ransacked during the Revolution. Originally, Harrison wanted to be a doctor and go to medical school. He actually attended medical school in Pennsylvania. However, he couldn't afford the tuition and dropped out to join the military. For $2.10 a month. Which was a lot of money in that day. Was it? I don't know. Probably he was wasn't. a recruiting officer. Okay. Um, he also, the school he went to, did you mm-hmm. pick up on that? Uh, anatomical Hall. That's a definitely a made-up school name. They didn't know. They were like, what do we call the school? And they're like, no. What, well, we, what subject are you studying right now? Ana- anatomy? Like, anatomical hall it is. We only have one building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta run over to anatomical I can't even say that. Yeah, right. Anatomical hall. They would always laugh back in the day when that would happen. <laughs> he called it anatomical. Yeah. <laughs> what, an, what adult. <laughs> Oh man! I did not catch the name of that, nor did I remember that he was paid two dollars and ten cents. It was one of my first notes. It says went to anatomical hall <laughs> and in parentheses exclamation point. I wonder what their mascot was. <laughs> the forceps, <laughs> the fighting forceps. Oh man! Well, he uh, he dropped out of medical school because it was too pricey. Joins the military, fights in the Northwest Territory Indian Wars from seventeen ninety one to ninety eight. Winning the Battle of Fallen Timbers in 1794. Okay, I think I missed the medical school part. It makes more sense that you would call it Anatomical Hall Mm. for medical school. Mm -hmm. So I retract my jokes. (laughs) You know what, though? You said something that flew over my head. I said something that you didn't catch were even. In the notes, I just wrote that that was the school. That's that's it. That was the Um, school. He did drop out of college, though, because of the Methodist revival. Oh, I because don't he was this. a devout Episcopalian, ah. uh, which I think he mean, that means he only ate fish. That's a pescatarian. The, yeah, right. Um, of course, <laughs> that's a good dad joke, though, right there. The when he his first uh, service in yes. the military served under Mad Anthony Wayne. He did. Yeah, he kind of became his protege, didn't he? Yeah, which is not a good person. No, not so much. Why was he called Mad Anthony? Uh, Insanity or anger? Yes. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he was not a uh, kind uh, or empathetic person. Hmm. Yeah, he was the he was the William Sherman of the Battle of Fallen Timbers. I don't know about that. Yeah. Okay. Sherman had you could probably argue quite a bit more uh, character than Mad Anthony Wayne, although. He did get a town named after him. Yes, he did. Fort Wayne, Indiana, just about two hours north of us. Correct. Yeah, go Hoosiers, by the way. We're we're all Hoosiers here. That's I'm why not. Russ remembers. What are, what are you? What? I didn't go to IU. No, I'm not saying, but you grew up in Indiana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you're a Hoosier. Um, okay, I'm that's, a bulldog. But, oh, well, that's fine. 
Go Butler. <laughs> I, I think everybody in Indiana likes Butler. It's the Switzerland yeah. of Indiana. Like, if you're an IU or Purdue fan, everybody's like, but Butler's yeah, fine. Yeah, Butler's cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, Ball State, go get me another beer. <laughs> <laughs> Offense to anyone who grew up in Muncie, Indiana. Uh, so his actions in the battle of fallen timbers led to Harrison's being... Ball State. <laughs> Russ went to Ball State. Ah, cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Chirp, 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 chirp. You know what? Let's just drink. We're yeah. we're having a good time. Yeah. Tally ho. Hey, he was president for 36 days. You got to fill the time. Uh, we do. All right. So uh, his actions in this battle of fallen timbers led to his being promoted to captain and the privilege of his being present at, for the signing of the Treaty of Greenville in 1795. The terms of this treaty required that the Native American tribes give up their claims to the Northwest Territory land, mostly current day Ohio, in exchange for hunting rights and a little bit of cash. Shawnee leader Tecumseh boycotted the agreement and began to organize a confederation of Indians opposed to white encroachment and fostering retention of traditional native cultural and religious practices and ways of life. In 1795, Harrison traded family land held in Virginia for title to land in Kentucky. This transaction shifted a, uh, he basically shifted regionally in as far as identification in the, the national culture then from being a Southerner to being a Westerner when he uh, sold off his land in Virginia to basically say, hey, I'm a, I'm a Western guy now. And that, that stayed for, I mean, all the way pretty much through the Civil War, even yeah. though we had, you know, gained territory further west if you lived in like ohio you were considered mm. a westerner for a long time yeah which is weird now now yeah. it's like the middle east um it's the midwest directionally actually. wow <laughs> wow i don't <laughs> i have so I many saying, things if you to look say. at a map it's the middle oh sure go yeah. on uh, tell us more about how columbus ohio <laughs> is like saudi arabia that's <laughs> not what i meant it's just what you said. <laughs> hey, on November 25th, 1795, I'm sure you guys remember that date, mm-hmm. uh, William Henry Harrison marries his sweetheart, Anna Tuthill Sims. Despite her father's protests, she was wealthy, well-educated, and a wonderful horsewoman, <laughs> which just is such a fun word, like horsewoman. woman on top, horse on bottom? Like she was a centaur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, I love this part of his life, um, mostly because her dad uh, uh, didn't want them yeah. to get married. No, so not at all. they waited till dad went out of town and yeah, they were they like, did. all right, let's do this. Yeah. Hey, dad's away. So yeah. they, he comes back and he asks William Henry Harrison how he would support uh, her, his daughter. Yes. And William Henry Harrison said, my sword is my means of support, sir. My sword. <laughs> I assume wow. that's what he, how he talked. Man, that's pretty. That's a good line to talk to your yeah, father-in-law. Who like, doesn't even know he's your father-in-law. Well, he did at this point. Yeah, okay. Uh, but that's yeah. I mean, I it's. I feel like it's a thinly veiled threat. Yeah. Like, oh, you want support? I got yeah. support right here. I got here. support right here. I'm strapped. Yeah, that's right. Let me unsheath my scabbard. No, the scabbard is never mind. Wow, that's cool though. He was like, I'm a fighting man, which he was a very good fighting. Yeah, he man. was. He was. Uh, also, General Anthony Mad Wayne, Mad Anthony Wayne, supported uh, the the match. So maybe that might have helped out with old dad. But anyway, the, the Harrisons moved to a log cabin home on a farm outside the village of North Bend near Cincinnati, purchased from the bride's father. So her dad made a buck off her getting married, even though he wasn't too happy about it. Together, the Harrisons would go on to have nine children. 
Their son, John Scott Harrison, would later be the father of Benjamin Harrison, who would be elected as the 23rd president of the United States. And have a pretty sweet park named after him. He does. Right here in Indiana. That's right. Right around the, hor- right right. Around the corner. Right around the what? The corner? The horsewoman? Right yeah, around the, the horsewoman. Horse <laughs> there are horses at Fort Bend. Yeah, there are. It, your dad was stationed there. Don't you dare talk about my father. Well, I'm just... <laughs> He was stationed there. He was the only, uh, he was the senior Navy guy at Fort Bend, which is an army base uh, for about was. three or four years. Yeah. Was, yeah. It's not anymore. Not anymore. Had to put her down. <laughs> Sorry. Went blind. Yeah, just. Wasn't a use blame. anymore. <laughs> just couldn't make it around the third turn on the track. Just had to put her down. Hey, from 1796 to 97, Harrison invested in a grist mill, whiskey distillery, and sawmill. We're, we're drinking some of his whiskey tonight. Well, named after him anyway, in the Indiana Territory, none of which proved too profitable for him. Meanwhile, he commanded the quiet outpost of Fort Washington. In 1798, he left military service to become the Secretary of the Indiana Territory, which at the time consisted of the future states of Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and eastern Minnesota. So this is a, this is a huge tract of land. This is large. Yeah. It's not just the state of Indiana. I mean, it's it's a ton of the uh, the Middle East, isn't it? Yeah. It also makes you wonder, too, knowing that it was all one piece of land at once, how mm. Michigan got away with getting the UP. Oh, yeah. That's a good man. Like, how much of cowards do Wisconsin have to be to be like, no, no, no that's fine. I, you you yeah, guys should have it. Fine. No, no, no. It's, it's fine. fine. I didn't even want it. Just take it. Let's just draw an imaginary <laughs> line and we'll you guys take it. And it's fine. Yeah. It's just... Our gift to yeah. you. No, 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 no. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. In 1800, William Henry Harrison. Can we just call him like Bill? I'm just, it's such a long, like William Henry Harrison. Yeah. Or like Will. It's Willie. easier to write because you can just WM it. Yeah. Yeah. WM. But anyway. We just call him Harrison. Harrison. Will. Will seems a little informal for his, his rank. His ilk. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this guy was appointed by 6th President John Quincy Adams, the first governor of the Indiana Territory, which was created when Congress subdivided the Northwest Territory. He was required to continue to acquire lands from the Native Americans while at the same time ensuring that they were treated fairly. This duly ratcheted up the already high tensions between tribes and the American government's expansion plans, which drove Harrison into a quarrel with Tecumseh and his brother, the self-proclaimed prophet and I want to, protect, uh, want to pronounce this right, Tenskwatawa. Tenskwatawa. No. Tenskwatawa. Tenskwatawa. T-E-N-S-K-W-A-T-A-W-A. Tenskwatawa. That's a fun name. Originally, Lala Wathika, which means he makes a loud noise. Renamed later in life. Tenskwatawa. I do want to point out that uh, I acknowledge William Henry Harrison is not from Indiana. Mm. So anyone that has beef with us calling him the Hoosier, mm. he was named because he was the first governor of the Indiana Territory. Because if you go through, he hardly ever lived in what would be considered Indiana. Now, Correct. He fought there because he fought up north a little bit and yeah. outside of what's now Lafayette Yep. Um, and a little bit outside of what's now Fort Wayne. But outside of that, he didn't spend a lot of time in what would be considered Indiana today. Was there Vincennes? Was Vincennes in the picture with, with William Henry Harrison? really influential in creating Vincennes University. Okay. All right. Um, but I don't believe when he created it, it's where it's currently located. Okay. I think it's moved since then. All right. 
Um, so I, and understanding that Benjamin Harrison actually lived here. Yeah. I was a little torn on the oh. title, but I went with it because he was the first governor of I the like territory. It. And uh, he was governor for a long time. There's more we'll talk about. He 12 was years. For, per, he was pro-Indiana being a slave state. Was when he? they were being negotiated. I think I missed that in the book. He was like really pro. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I don't actually remember how they ended up. Yeah. Well, you got to consider his upbringing too. I mean, he's, he's born on a plantation, mm-hmm. you know? Well, yeah, he's from Virginia. Yeah. And obviously like, yeah, they, they were pro slavery. Harrison wrote a letter. This is this is great. This quote is amazing. He wrote a letter denouncing Tenskwatawa and dared him to, quote, cause the sun to stand still, the moon to alter its course, the rivers to cease to flow, or the dead to rise from their graves, end quote, to prove his prophetic abilities. So the prophet yeah. is what he's mostly known as. Yeah. A couple of things to unpack. Go ahead. So in a lot of Native American tribes... They would have something similar to the prophet or like a magic, a shaman. A shaman, yeah. And I was hoping you would say shaman. They would effectively like cast like protective spells. Yes. Or like the chief and things like that. And what would happen in a lot of battles is, uh, you know, like if one of them went down, the chief or the shaman, the rest of the uh, warriors would run. Okay. Because that shows the magic is off. Huh. And so we're not safe anymore because they, they believed that that was their protection. Okay. Right? So that was essentially his role in all of this, but he took it another step further. So he originally was like the town drunk hmm. and one day got like so wasted. Mm-hmm. He's passed out in the street and everyone thought he was dead. <laughs> and then when he came to, he was like, guys, while I was passed out, I met God wow. and he told me white people shouldn't be here. And we're going to lead, get them out, and we're going to get our land back. And everybody was like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I saw him. He was definitely dead. Yeah, he was dead. Um, So that's how it all kind of started. So we went from being like complete, you know, like I said, the town drunk to... Ah, Typical Tenskwatawa. Yeah. To being like the second most influential person in his tribe. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story. Like, he basically just denounced all European settlers and was like, we can, which I, I feel like they all had a right to do that. Right? Yeah. They lived here. Um, and so he personally had issue with Harrison. So it became almost like a rivalry, mm. like Tecumseh and the prophet versus Harrison. So yeah. as we kind of get into that, remember that because it became okay. a little bit more personal with them than like a normal, yeah. I'm a general fighting you as a general. Yeah. And then at the end, we're going to grab a cigar and swap war stories. Like, they genuinely didn't like each other. I appreciate that insight. Thank you, Blaine. We had to do some digging for this yeah, one. Did. Was... <laughs> <laughs> well, the letter reaches Tenskwatawa, the prophet, who said he would demonstrate his powers by darkening the sun in the summer of 1806. Well, guys, guess what happened? Uh, eclipse. A few weeks later, a solar eclipse occurred gasp and the prophet claimed his knowledge of the event provided the requisite proof of his powers he went back in the tent and was like 
<laughs> what did I just do? What just happened? Somebody... It's like, I totally made... I was going to like stand I, I, over him with a blanket. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know. Part of me kind of hopes he popped a peanut into his mouth after it happened. Just like, yeah. yeah. Or me. like he just found an almanac and right. was like, this is happening again. They probably haven't read this. Anybody know who Benjamin Franklin is? <laughs> <laughs> I love that the farmer's almanac was delivered to, uh, to Prophetstown. Oh my gosh. Can I have some more William H. Yeah. Henry? Uh, William, how many H's are in this man's name? Bourbon, please. In 1809, the Treaty of Fort Wayne, or the 12 Mile Line Treaty, or rather, opened vast acreage to white settlement and sparked what would become known as Tecumseh's War. Thank you, Blaine. In November 1811, Harrison attempted to use force to negotiate a peace treaty with the Confederation of Indian Tribes. Even though he was still governor at the time, he marched U.S. forces to the village of Prophetstown. Near the confluence of the Tippecanoe and Wabash Rivers, near current-day Lafayette, Indiana, go Hoosiers, where he met his old foe. Tenskwatawa in charge of the tribal forces while his brother Tecumseh was away doing I don't know what. Do you know what Tecumseh was doing when... I think he was going to meet with another tribe. Okay. If I remember, I could be off on that, but I know he was going off to do some other business. Okay. And the prophet was like... It's cool, I got this. I got this. Can we talk about the uniform of 1811? Oh man, I'd love to hear about this. You're, um, first of all, you're an army guy. You, you're an officer in the U.S. Army, so you're kind of our expert about anything about military stuff. Thank, well, thanks. No, thank it's you. Good, thank, thank you. Good to be an expert in something. Yeah. And it's really just because I, I know the, the, the most least, the least most. <laughs> like usually guys, like my level yeah. is down here sure. and yours is... Okay. Even further. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I, I think you just insulted me and Russ, but go ahead. Uh, so, brass button regulars, elegantly okay. garbed in tailcoats and skin tight pantaloons, oh with my. tall stovepipe hats, <laughs> topped with red, white, and blue cockades, oh. tightly strapped under the chin. Oh, gosh. Uh, so it was a period um, of transition in between two uniforms. Yeah. And uh, wait, the cockades. The cockades were a hat. They weren't part I, of the skin-tight pantaloons. It hmm. said they okay. were uh, tightly strapped under the chin. Okay. Huh. Uh, so it said it was quite possibly the most gaudy uniform yeah. that the United States Army has ever donned. Wow. It's pretty fantastic. I need to find a picture of that. Producer Russ, can you find a 1811 U.S. Army uh, military it seems like a costume, not even a, not even a uniform. That sounds very costumey. Right. Yeah, like imagine what you would see in like a Revolutionary War uniform, yes. but add like a giant hat. Okay. And even tighter pants. Oh, and these are snug, something sir. strapped. I'm assuming that the cockade would be the yeah. thing that straps the hat on. Uh-huh, yeah. And oh boy. my! Producer yeah. Russ is showing we us a will. picture of a of a dandy gentleman uh, about to go slaughter some Native Americans yeah. in, in in Indiana, just dressed to the nines. It's yeah, we'll wow. we'll have to post a picture wow. on the show notes of that. My goodness, that's pretty interesting. That's fancy. If we have the rights to do that, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's got to be in the public domain. So, Battle of Tippecanoe. Here we go. Let's dive in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's do it. All right, so Tecumseh's away. Uh, the prophet is like, I can, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in charge. Well, now. Tecumseh's away. The prophet will play. Wow. That's where that phrase comes from that, that I just made up. Very famous phrase yeah. in this household <laughs> as of tonight. 
He leads an early morning attack that startles Harrison and his men out of their sleep, but the tribal warriors were badly outnumbered. Though the two sides suffered almost equal losses, the settlers claimed victory and Harrison's reputation as a military hero grew. Harrison then burned the Indian village of Prophetstown in retaliation. Uh, I didn't know if you guys heard about this, but this is cool. I, I, I did some digging and I found this. This is the source of something known as Tecumseh's Curse. Have you heard about this? Hmm. Okay, this is pretty cool. (laughs) Which would later be cited upon Harrison's untimely death. The Tecumseh's Curse, you can look this up. Presidents after William Henry Harrison, who were elected in years that ended in a zero, died while in office, including Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, who had a stroke. No, who was uh, who was assassinated? Harding, who had a stroke. FDR and Kennedy. Uh, I've got bad news for Joe. Joe Biden, twenty twenty. <laughs> oh boy! To, yeah, Tecumseh's curse. Look it up. Uh, so, but please, as the military man expert guy, please unpack the Battle of Tippecanoe. So we've discussed before, before morning nautical twilight. Yes, stand two. So we this is something we still do to this day. And I think before when I talked about it, I was talking about the Seminole Wars with Andrew Jackson. Yeah, I think that's um, where I remember hearing about it. It was a pretty common Native American tactic to uh, uh, attack right before the sun would come up when, like, basically when people would least expect or be the least prepared. Okay. Um, you mentioned that the attack uh, at the Battle of Tippecanoe startled Harrison and his men. Yes. Half of that's true. Okay, go ahead. The, the, like, one of the big takeaways, one of the reasons that he became so revered as a general was that, like, he wasn't phased at all. Mm. He was like, huh, they're <laughs> shooting at us. Go get them, boys. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was very calm under fire. Um, Stop shooting arrows, boys. The idea that the governor was in a fight, you yeah. know, like, that's wild. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Just, ima- yeah, that's wild. Imagine yeah. your governor wherever you live yeah uh camping for one um (laughs) (laughs) glamping let's be real and people start shooting and he wakes up and he's like well we should take care of this yeah um the prophet so we talked about the shaman like magic and things like that well everybody was super pissed because like they got annihilated yeah partially because they were just they were so few numbers correct and the soldiers were able to get up and attack quickly they, uh, the 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 tribe effectively turned their back on the prophet, even though he tried to blame the loss on his wife. Oh gosh! Because she touched his magic pot. Don't touch oh, my no. pot. Yeah. <laughs> while while he was doing the magic, oh, and it gosh. like threw the curse off. So I'm making he, a curse, sweetheart. Yeah. He was like, "Look, it was the woman, like always." <laughs> like, Donna, typical yeah. Donna. So, uh, that's her name. In this needless story. to say, probably not a feminist. Um, yeah, the prophet. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he totally tried to throw his wife on. No, oh, no, kill her. No, take I'm her. Still your leader. I'm she the leader touched, guy. She touched my magic pot. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, maybe stay off the magic pot. Hmm. There. That sounds like it could affect the outcome of a battle. Yeah, let's go with magic pot. I so they basically that. completely turned their back. Their backs on him at that yeah. point, and then he 
uh, effed off up to Canada for a while. Uh, I'm sorry, what did he do? He left. Oh, hightailed it. Yeah. Effed off. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's very, that's, you're towing a very thin line of us getting <laughs> parental advisory on this thing. Uh, anything else about the Battle of Tippecanoe? I feel like we need. We probably need to visit that battleground at some point. It's not far. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half from here. Gosh, we should do that. It's weird visiting battlefields like that, though. Like, I don't know if you've ever visited like Valley Forge or or uh, Gettysburg. Like, it's a big open field. Yeah. Like there are certain things that you can see and be like, oh, I can see how they use this. But sure. like, that is just because I mean, if you think about it, there was a, where they camped. Yeah. So it had to be big enough for a bunch of them to put their tents up and stuff and yeah. set fires. And um, it was right at, it was the, the Native Americans used the woods as cover as they were entering. So they okay. had things to hide behind and can move quietly. Yeah. And so they basically dispersed back out into the woods. So just mm-hmm. imagine like wood line, open field. Yeah. That's the battlefield. Wow. Would they decide, like, would, would, would one side send a letter to the other side and be like, hey, you guys want to try to kill each other in that one field? Or would it be more like, <laughs> this is where they are, this is where we're going to try to assault them? So it's more of understanding the terrain and understanding where the most advantageous terrain is and okay. figuring out how you can amass the most firepower to gain. Because all warfare uh, outside of, like, asymmetrical like what we deal with now well vietnam on was landmass warfare so the whole purpose was to gain ground yeah and to gain more ground and he who had most ground wins okay so that's why you see and and they didn't have people thinking like they thought we talked about this uh during washington like they thought that um people hiding behind cover and firing was cowardly. Oh, that's right. And and things like that. So like there was a yeah. sense of honor of standing yeah. in an open field. Line up and shoot at me from 50 yards yeah. away like a real man. Yeah. Some dude's like, I don't know, man, this tree keeps know. me safe and you're out there. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to win this I one. I kind of like staying alive yeah. behind this haystack. So, um, I mean, if you think back further when yeah. you're fighting with spears, like yeah. you can't do that in the woods. I mean, you could. Yeah. Not with a lot of people. It's true. So. <laughs> Small band of spearmen in the woods. Yeah. Thank you for that military insight, Blaine. It probably, I mean, it's, that's pretty broad. It's, don't go. I was impressed when you dropped the word asymmetrical. Russ, how were you? How did you feel? <laughs> I was like, oh, he knows his stuff. How'd you feel? It was great. <laughs> Thank you, Russ. In 1812, William Henry Harrison resigned his governorship of the Indiana Territory to be commissioned as a general commanding the forces in the Northwest Territory. Now, during the War of 1812, he was defeated, or I'm sorry, he defeated a coalition of British and Native allies in Indiana and Ohio, retook the previously captured city of Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, and he won the Battle of the Thames. Are we going with Thames or Thames, Blaine? I... I've never known how to pronounce that. The battle of the word that is spelled T-H-A-M-E-S. <laughs> I'm sure in Indiana, if there were a town called, yeah. spelled that way, we yeah. would call it Thames. Oh, you're going to Thames? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's right down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Just right past Brazil and Santa Claus. Down Cross. there next to Versailles. That's right. I believe it's pronounced Versailles. What? We don't like your kind I don't, I don't like your kind. You, you get French? <laughs> what are you, Frank? You're from France? These are freedom fries. Oh, 
Oh, you're from France. Have I got something for you? Oh, yeah. Genuine World War II French rifle. Only been dropped once. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well played. Okay, so the Battle of the T-H-A-M-E-S with Tecumseh was ultimately killed in. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Do you want to unpack that a little bit? Well, there's like, what, six people that say they killed Tecumseh? Mm -hmm. We talked about that in the last episode. Yeah. What was that? This... Dick Johnson. Oh, that's right. Dick Johnson <laughs> with, uh, that's right. Uh, what, what, he he claimed he? that he killed Tecumseh, but he also said, like, I don't know. Hold on, who com- is Dick Johnson, though? Dick Johnson was the vice president. Yes. For uh, whom? Who was he for? He was, uh... Are you serious? Dick Johnson. Uh, We'd have to listen to some type of presequential podcast. Was that Marty that Van B? Yeah, 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 that was that was MVP. Yeah, it you was. know me. Yeah, Dick Johnson. He was a Van B boy. He was a Van B boy. Richard Johnson. So it wasn't clear if, well, a if it was Dick Johnson or not, because people also attributed William Henry Harrison to have killed yeah. Tecumseh, and there's also like I also feel like people back then called him Tecumseh. Tecumseh. Uh that feels like something yeah. people would have done yeah, in Tecumseh. the 1800s. Rumsey Dumpsey. That's uh, right. Yeah. Down goes Tecumseh or something. That's like right. That. Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. A Muhammad Ali fight. <laughs> Rumpsy Dumpsy. That sounds like something. <laughs> right. That sounds like something he would have said. Uh, the. Oh, so uh, great. I love that we somehow managed to bring in Martin Van Buren and Muhammad Ali <laughs> and the great Shawnee Chief Tecumseh. Dick Johnson answer. did admit that he wasn't sure if it was Tecumseh. It could have just been some Potawatomi chief. Oh yeah. And no one's ever seen Tecumseh's remains. Um, he could still be out there. Yeah. Well, that's not what I'm saying. Like unsolved <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> yeah. We need, yeah. what was that guy saying? Robert something? Uh, unsolved mysteries guy? Uh, look it yeah. up. Look it up. <laughs> it's Robert yeah. something. Yeah, Robert. It is. He's it's on the street light. It's not Robert Mitchell. Gosh, just 200 year old Tecumseh, or not Tecumseh Sherman. Tecumseh's out there right now, just like Bigfoot. Well, it's. There, there's a theory that he got away and went to Canada with his brother. Okay, but I mean, like, who knows? It's yeah, it's way easier to make conspiracy theories from 1812. Move on. Oh, you believe in conspiracy theories? <laughs> okay, you believe in 1812? <laughs> can we talk just since since he's been only president for seven minutes and he dies? Can we can we unpack that little thing that you do with conspiracy theorists that I love so much? You just one up. <laughs> The conspiracy theory. Give me an example. Like somebody says, uh, I don't believe the moon ra- landing was real. You just go, oh, you believe in the moon? That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. It usually works because yeah. then you don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, man. I met a flat earther recently. That was a very interesting conversation. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, but this is not that kind of podcast. Speaking of flat earthers. Go ahead. Uh, you want to take a break? I think we should. We're going to refresh our beverages, and uh, we're going to let you hear from one of our fantastic sponsors. You are listening to the Presequential Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is Blaine. Veteran suicide is a huge issue within the veteran community. Through different experiences, too many of our brothers and sisters have gone down this road, and the team at Vets Lives Matter is working to combat this issue. Vets Lives Matter is a cohort of veteran and civilians working on a mission to enhance veterans' lives. 
by teaming up with local veteran nonprofits across the country through a combination of physical challenges and fundraising efforts, we will end veteran suicide. Be sure to follow on all social media platforms at Vets Lives Matter to learn how to donate and participate in challenges in your community. Together, we will beat this. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Presequential Podcast, Episode 9, The Hoosier, William Henry Harrison. All right, so after the War of 1812, Harrison serves as a member of the House of Representatives from Ohio from 1815 to 1818. He was elected to the Ohio State Senate, where he served two terms, and then ran unsuccessfully for governor of Ohio and another House seat. In 1825, however, he was elected to the U.S. Senate, where he served for three years until 1828, when he served as U.S. envoy to Colombia for a couple years, just going down to South America. Really went ahead in the story there. I kind of did. I skipped a lot of. Can we go back if you want? Sure. Before we go into his to Colombia career, yeah, where he became a coke lord. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, the not a lot one. of people know William Henry Harrison, uh, coke lord. So, while he was an officer in the military, I got Russ on that he one. Did some really interesting <laughs> things. So, while he yeah. was at Fort Mays, there was a battle. Where's Fort Mays? I'm no, I, no, sorry, Meigs. M e i g s. Meigs. Meigs. It's up like what by Detroit ish. Detroit. So he's at Fort Meigs. Soldiers sitting next to him, like a piece of artillery comes in and like just murks that soldier. What's what's he murk takes, mean? Wait, wait. Gets taken out. Oh, okay. He takes shrapnel to the leg and is just like, guess I should move. <laughs> <laughs> he really understood how to lead mm. the average citizen soldier. Mm. He understood these are people that were voluntold. Yeah. To be in the military because we needed bodies. Okay. And he understood how to motivate them. And he had huh. all of these really interesting... So he banned dueling, which was a big thing in the West. Okay. Banned alcohol. And he would have super unique punishments okay. for really minor offenses. Like, if you committed like a minor offense, you would have parade duty, but like at 5 a.m. So you would have to be full dress. Yeah. And like practicing marching... In an open field. Is is William Henry Harrison watching you at that point? I mean, he seems like the type of leader that would. Yeah. He's like, that's what the thing that stood out to huh. me about him was how great of like a leader he was. Like okay. the leaders eat last type. Yeah. Oh, that's leader. a great book. Yeah. Simon Sinek. He understood like every offense was like, hang him. <laughs> if you're Andrew Jackson. <laughs> yeah. And he yeah. was like, no, we can figure out ways to motivate them, as we say yes. in the army now. Yes. We'll, we'll just motivate them to be yeah. better yeah. by making them do bad things. So if you were caught sleeping. Not bad things, just hard things. Uh, if you were caught sleeping during guard duty, they would <laughs> they would pull you out of your bed at four in the morning and dump you in the river two mornings in a row. Wow. And then you would have to clear brush for two to three hours a day. You basically had an extra duty for two to three, for landscaping duty for three days. And that would be your punishment. So like really good reason to not fall asleep. If you don't want to get dumped in the icy cold river and have to landscape for three days. (laughs) I wish I knew these things when I was a young NCO. Well, now you do be like, Oh, he fell asleep during guard. Guess who's getting dumped in the river at four in the morning. Yeah. 
You think you'd be ready for it on the second day. Right. Yeah, but that's your punishment. What are you going to do? Fight it? Like then Dumped it just in the sucks. river, though, kind of just feels like at that point in the 18, what, 1820? It's just a bath. It's just a bath. Yeah, but I mean, nothing's you fun at 4 a.m. That's a good point. He took the Kentucky volunteers on the St. Lawrence to sail into Canada during 1812. Yeah. And they were so in awe of the ship because they'd never seen one before yeah. Yeah. that he was like, all right, you get an hour to look. <laughs> <laughs> Take your pictures. Yeah. Like, post he let your them, snaps. He let them like go around the ship and yeah. check it out because they were just, they were like, I didn't even know this was a thing yeah. that existed. Cue the mechanical orca whale yeah, off the port like, bow. Go do your thing for an hour and then I, we get I, serious. Listen, I get it. I get it. Steer for a while. Have fun. So after 1812, before he ran for yes. politics. I'm sorry I, I jumped so forward. No, that's okay. I love that you've got things to say about this. <laughs> we, like I said, we had to come up with stuff. Gosh. Because not a lot to talk about while he was president outside of wear a coat, people. Um, he went to don't don't be shorts guy in Wisconsin. He's got his chubbies on. <laughs> yeah, like we all know that everybody from the yeah. Midwest knows that oh, guy. Yeah. It's yeah. snowing and he wears shorts. And, yeah. yeah. So he went to New York City and everybody was just hailing him as Washington of the West. Yes. Like he was supposed to be the next Washington. He was yes. a really well known general. I mean, I really think had he been given the opportunity to continue serving. So one of the reasons that he was kind of taken off the battlefield during the War of 1812 was yep. political rivals started realizing, well, if he gets more wins and becomes more legendary, he becomes more of a political force. Right. Because back then, if you won big battles, yep. you were seen as next in line to win a vote for the presidency. Yeah. So they basically took him out of the fight. To keep pa- him pause. How far did that extend? That that concept of if you are a great military hero. I mean Eisenhower. It, yeah, it had to. I mean, certainly uh, Grant. Definitely not Reagan. No, although Reagan, he played Bush, he played Bush, a handful of soldiers. Clinton. Yeah, no, I would assume I, Eisenhower. Eisenhower, probably. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, all right. So I would say that if he were allowed to stay in the fight, yeah, and I believe Madison might have been Madison, maybe Monroe. Monroe was eighteen twelve. Uh, Madison was 1812, I believe. Because Madison went to the actual... Madison and Monroe, but Monroe was the Secretary of War? Yeah, that's Battle of 1812? Like, in Maryland, outside of D.C., yeah. He wanted to put him in charge of the Southern fighting that was happening during the War of 1812. And I have a theory. Okay, go ahead. Had he been the general in charge, Washington would not have been burned down. Because he wouldn't have been so stupid to be like, no, they're going to Baltimore, guys. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Interesting. Because if you look here. at his record, yeah. yeah, like, had they not taken him out of the fight, they probably don't have to rebuild Washington. Gosh. Can you imagine the capital city being burned down on your watch? No. Gosh. James Madison. Great, great writer, framer, but yikes. Sorry, buddy. So um, anyway, after all right. that, he jumps into politics. So he was named to Congress after McLean resigned yeah. to go to the Supreme Court. Actually, while he was in Congress, go ahead. he thought that it was ridiculous that they were requesting an increase in congressional pay, mm. and Congress actually voted against it. Congress voted against yeah. giving themselves more money? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because of his influence? I guess so, yeah. Wow. When was, was the last time that happened? That was probably the last time it happened. He was passed over, Monroe passed him over four different times to become Secretary of War. Okay. You know who got one of those four slots? John Calhoun. Oh. Oh. 
If you haven't heard the our episode himself. on uh, Andrew Jackson, man, go listen to it. John Calhoun is a scary looking human. <laughs> <laughs> Just yes. Google John C. Calhoun. I feel like, yeah, I mean, he should be the face of anyone's Secretary of War. They would yeah. be like, do you want to mess with him? Like, oh, gosh, no, no, no. You've got the Crypt Keeper in charge of the army. Good night. At one point, he was heading home back to the Indiana Territory from yes. a trip in Virginia. Okay. Um, or it may have been like some time as a congressman, he was heading back. Okay. And he was randomly asked to pilot the boat because the pilot wasn't the clipper, if you will. Yeah, I wasn't will. real sure how to navigate it. And he realized that the they clipper? had too many. Is the clipper not the the clipper? Clipper, a clipper is a kind of sailing vessel. You mean the gipper? The gipper? Whoever's in charge was like, I don't know how the to drive skipper? this thing anymore. The skipper? Sure. That's I what put you pilot. Mean. He realized quickly the reason they weren't able to navigate this river was because yeah. they had too many supplies. Oh. And so they were going to throw them out. And there were these folks that were migrating south. Okay. He could tell they were down on their luck, like they were migrating for a reason. So he yeah. was like, let's not throw them away. Let's give them to these people. Huh. Because their tea and coffee are luxuries that many of them may not taste for years. Mm, wow. Sounds so like, like a very benevolent gentleman. Yeah. I'm trying to set up like we really missed out yeah. on him not being president. Yeah, you're jumping ahead a little bit to a question that I had about legacy. Because on the Presidential Podcast, we talk about life, legacy, and little known Thanks facts. Thanks for reminding me. Every president. You're welcome. Yeah. It's really for the listener. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's a question that I had too. Like, had he survived, how would our country be different? But At- at the time, too, they didn't have the like standard awards that we have now yeah. in the military, so they just gave gold medals out to people. Yeah. What did I earn this for? Gold medal. Mm, not getting dumped in the river. <laughs> Congratulations, you did it. While he was a congressman, they wrote a history of the War of 1812, but it was so uh. embellished. They had mm. to send that history to nine different generals to fact check it. And all of them were like, none of this. <laughs> I, I don't think any of this is actually. I, this sounds like the Patriots starring Mel Gibson. Who's Mel Gibson? <laughs> <laughs> all right. In 1829, mm-hmm. he returns home to Ohio where he went into business for himself. He tried unsuccessfully for another Senate seat. And he served as county court clerk in Cincinnati. Around this time, he lost the new Whig Party candidacy for president to Andrew Jackson's political favorite son, Martin Van Buren of New York. Blaine, if people wanted to learn more about Martin Van Buren, where should they go? Episode 8. Yeah, just just scroll up one. The Little Magician, right? Or The Magician. The Magician. That's right. (laughs) He was little, though. In December 1839, Harrison was nominated for president at the Whig Party convention in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. John Tyler at that convention was nominated for vice president. Fun story, though, about a little bit before that in 1832. Go ahead. His son, William, one of nine, wrote that with one, ex- he was, they were traveling across the countryside and came across a cornfield mm. and on july 4th yeah. oh gosh this is going to be uh very prevalent for any midwesterner mm. on july 4th 1832 his son wrote with one exception have i not seen a single field of corn higher than a man's knee you know at that time it is generally at a man's hand mm. which coined the phrase Go ahead. knee high by the fourth of july amen baby. and i don't think i've ever passed a cornfield in my life somewhere around july fourth and looked at it and been like that one's good mm-hmm. like knee high by fourth yeah. of july if yeah. you've eaten corn you need to thank william henry harrison and his son 
Yeah, I mean, it's just such an ingrained thing in Midwesterners. I think that everybody, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm unique in that, that when you pass a cornfield, you think, Ah. like, is that up to my knee? Is it your life? We're good. No, that guy's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I didn't know that. Yeah. Was that in the book? Yeah. Gosh. It was on page uh, 280. I don't care. (laughs) Now, Henry Clay had garnered the most votes in early balloting, but did not win a majority. Henry Clay ran for president so many times. Henry Clay (laughs) ran for president a record 172 times. Behind-the-scenes politicking led to a compromise Harrison-Tyler ticket, with Tyler of Virginia being a pro-Clay delegate. Now, the campaign of 1840 was a rematch between Harrison, the Whig of Ohio, versus Martin Van Buren, Democrat of New York, and the incumbent president of the United States. Martin Van Buren was nominated unanimously at the Democratic National Convention, but Democrats balked at backing controversial incumbent Dick Johnson as vice president. They balked. Ed Dick. Harrison's campaign was heavily infused by popular songs and frontier iconography, including images of log cabins, coonskin caps, hard cider, and farmers at their plows. A newspaper ridiculed Harrison by saying that he would prefer to sit in a log cabin with a barrel of hard cider. When they did this, Whig supporters said, okay, let's spin that and call him the log cabin and hard cider candidate. Lean into it. Yeah, why not use it to his advantage? They also handed out whiskey and hard cider in branded bottles that were shaped like log cabins and other promotional knickknacks, including cigar tins, sewing boxes, and pennants. Go ahead. I'm disappointed in the Harrison distillery now for not making the, this bottle in the shape of a log it, cabin. It should, it should, I mean, it's does it have of... any frontier iconography on the label? Uh, there's wheat. No, nope, yeah, that corn. works. Uh, it is maybe log cabin adjacent. Okay. <laughs> <Maybe it's laughs> the America's first log cabin adjacent <laughs> bourbon. <laughs> they. What was their campaign sign? Do you remember? Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The old that, correct. Old from correct. Episode eight. That's right. Harrison actively campaigned for himself, which was unheard of at the time. While incumbent Marty Van B. remained in the White House, the very first presidential campaign slogan, quote, tip a canoe and Tyler too, end quote, was a reference to Harrison's military heroism and running mate John Tyler that adorned the various odds and ends handed out by his supporters. At a campaign rally for Harrison at the site of Tippecanoe, 60,000 people showed up. And numerous songs and jingles like Good Hard Cider, The Gallant Old Hero, and The Log Cabin were written about him and published in the Wig Log Cabin Songbook. They had their own songbook. So as a songwriter. Go ahead. What does Good Hard Cider sound like? Well, it's a bouncy tune, I'll tell you that. Let's hear it. Well, you know what? Would you would you like to actually hear some lyrics from an 1840 Whig campaign song? Uh, yes. Mm, no, no. Nobody knows how the melody went. No, no, no. That's your job. Oh, crap. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll try. Here we okay. go. <clears throat> Let Van from his cooler of silver drink wine and lounge on his cushioned settee. A man in his bucket bench can recline content with hard cider is he. Doesn't that just roll off the tongue? It feels like it should have been in Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) (laughs) Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. (laughs) Listen to those lyrics again. Let Van, 
Van Buren. I feel like you have to do the arm you, thing. You have to with swing it, your arm like, from and side talk side. about what was the bad guy. Look, Van uh, um, uh, from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, um, Gaston. Gaston. Yeah, no, no one drinks hard cider like, like William Gaston. Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> Let Van from his cooler of silver drink wine. And lounge on his cushioned settee. I don't know what a settee is. There was probably a Yeti as well. If we're talking about the bouge. Yes. It was so bougie. Yeah. His ascot was of fine silk. <laughs> his Yeti cooler and his fine camping chair. Van Buren had a gold toilet. Look that up. Or just listen to the past episode. Our man on his Buckeye bench can recline. Content with hard cider is he. Yeah. So he can sit on a bench of nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Which sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. And just drink some hard cider. They painted him, though, as this frontiersman when he was, in reality, born on a Virginian plantation. He was very <laughs> silver spoony. When he was campaigning for president, one of the places, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, pulled out the chair that his father carried little John Hancock in. Wow. Wait, uh, what? Hold on, hold on. Back up. Yeah. So he was he was campaigning... In Harrisburg. Okay. And the people of Harrisburg had the chair that his father carried little John Hancock in when he nominated him to be president of Congress. So he put his dad, put John Hancock in a chair. Herbie Hancock. Picked him up and was like, this should be the president of Congress. How old was John Hancock at the time? This was his father who was a member of no, the No, I original. know. But to nominate John Hancock and, oh, to pick him up. You said young John Hancock. No, I said like nine John years old. Hancock. I think that's a stature okay. thing, okay. not an right. age thing. I thought he was like nine years old no, when no, he no. was in Congress. <laughs> they, I have little John Hancock in quotes. Wow. All right. Uh, so his father was the reason John Hancock became huh. the president of Continental Congress. Wow. Yeah. He also did not like campaigning negatively. Mm. All the way back to Jackson. Yes. Uh, he told his son... Episode 7, The Frontiersman. Not, so his son ran a newspaper, and he went... He told his son not to bring up Jackson's wife mm. in his newspaper. Which famously, yeah, uh, the charge another, another newspaper did, yeah. and his wife died because of it. Um, she literally had a heart attack and died. Right. He also, after... <sighs> he would still write Clay for like advice on things yeah. while they were running. And at one point... <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't reply to your letter. I was too busy unsuccessfully running for president. I thought that was funny. <laughs> At one point, he wrote to Clay about an imported Spanish jackass because he wasn't sure what to do with it because it was impotent. Oh, my. And so he was asking, like, basically, like, policy-wise, what do we do here? What, what do we do with a yeah, donkey we have this that... jackass that came in from Spain? <laughs> <laughs> oh, senor impotent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Impotente. Like, we don't want to be rude, but, like, know. he's not doing his job. He's, he's not. We can't put him out the stud. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. I, I, I am missing so much in the books that we read about impotent donkeys that you, <laughs> that you catch. That's I'm what so I happy. look for. Like, I seek those things oh, out. Oh, man. Gosh. Can we talk for a second about the rampant number of congressmen or senators or people running for elected office or that were just like campaigning uh -huh. for someone that would that would openly weep when they would lose? Blaine, this is a free country. We can talk about almost whatever it, we want. Go ahead. It seems like a lot. Yeah. Like it's a job. Like he, they would they would cry. Oh, like 
vigorously. Please tell us. Like it, it's brought up in in lots of the books that we've read. When so and so lost this seat, his friend in Congress would have to go to another room to cry uncontrollably. Just he was inconsolable. Yeah, and it's like. <laughs> I mean, he was already rich. He's yeah. probably going to be fine. Yeah. What are we doing here? We're like, deep. I'm not saying that men should... I mean, strong men also cry, Go sir. Ahead. <laughs> strong have... men also cry. Here's my question. Do you have something you need to talk about? <laughs> no, but Russ got that reference. Well, what's the reference? Because it's... Big Lebowski. Ah, okay. I've seen that movie once. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a bit much. Okay. Maybe grandstanding. Mm. Uh, so anyway. I did not know that, that that was such a thing in your notebook about grown men crying when their candidate loses. These notebooks, Don't if this lie. thing ever takes off, I'm auctioning them off. <laughs> <laughs> College tuition paid for through your field. No, the numbers. Army took care of that. No, that's right. Um, part of my process is right before we record, yeah. I'll reread my notes and put post-it notes in the pages. Like if I, like if it's a long quote, I'll yeah. put such such quote page this so I don't have to write it all down because I use these tiny notebooks. Sometimes I'm rereading it and I'm like, what was my brain thinking when I wrote that? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, you do get nervous before we record, by the way. I do. I get nervously excited. And, and what's fun is you tell us that you're nervous. Luckily, you have all this stage presence. I do. Years of experience mm -hmm. on stage. Can we With go to your... late 1840? Late 1840. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? That was my Hamilton reference. Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Zimmerman over here. <laughs> 68-year-old William Henry Harrison is elected with 80% of the electoral vote. 80%. Wins in a Whig landslide, becoming the oldest man ever up to that point to be sworn into office as President of the United States. Until, trivia, who broke the record? Oldest. And when? Inaugurated. President. And when? Had he already won before? No, he had not. Is it 45? Uh, it is not 45. Hmm, I don't know. He was 69, one year older than William Henry Harrison. Was it Ronald Reagan? It was Ronald Reagan, Russ. Congratulations. Cheers to you for yeah, winning all the meaningless points. So he was the oldest his first term? That's Nin why I asked if it was the second it, term. 1981. Okay, yeah. 69 years old, just one year older than uh, Harrison. Very similar military backgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> On a wet, wintry day, March 4th, 1841, 68-year-old William Henry Harrison chose not to wear a coat, hat, or gloves at his own inauguration, and he dove into the longest inauguration speech ever given, his 90-minute Speech. I, I again. Hundred. Hundred minute speech. Hour 40. Written by himself mm -hmm. and edited by former Senator Daniel Webster, spanned 8,445 words. I was hoping you were going to say it was written by James Madison. James. Oh, man. <laughs> From the grave. And then he wrote the rebuttal, and then he wrote the rebuttal to the rebuttal. <laughs> That, if you want to learn more about what we're talking episode about. Episode one or episode four. four. There you go. 8,445 words. Well, now, well, some it, of those words, uh, of those 8,445, were very adamant that a president should only serve one term. And boy, yes. did he yeah. Yeah. walk the talk. Yeah, he did. 
Man, okay, so he's there at his inauguration. It's cold. He's just droning on and on about the Roman Empire. People are like, what are you even talking about? I thought you were the guy that would drink a beer with me in a log yeah. cabin. And he was like, imagine if Remulus would have been in charge, and then we'd have Reem. From on high, Zeus lofted his lightning bolts. What is he talking about? I don't know. Just go along with it. Yeah, it's fine. He's not wearing a coat. Come on. Quick. Clearly he's tough. He's not wearing... I should take my coat off, too. (laughs) Quick, let's sing the gallant old hero again. Everybody get out your wig song books. We're going to go verse 1, 3, and (laughs) 4. Nice. That's a fun high church reference right there. I can see that you were raised in a high church setting. All right, so just three weeks after taking office, Harrison felt a little ill, and he was complaining of fatigue and anxiety. He summons his doctor, Thomas Miller, to the White House. Now, Miller treats Harrison with the standard medications and practices of the day, including opium and enemas. Miller reported... But not opium enemas. No, that would just be what? That's, what is he? A that's quack? Not ridiculous! Good grief! The man's a doctor, Blaine. Don't Let's insult him. Let's get these him. ghosts out of your blood. <laughs> Bring more leeches. <laughs> Should probably do some cocaine about that. <laughs> well, I was a drug lord in Colombia for a while. <laughs> I did live in Bogota. I successfully, personally, got gooding out of a jam. It's Bogota, Blaine. What I say? Bogota. Doesn't it have a thing over the end? An accente? No, it's over. Bogo- Maybe it is. I live Bogota. in Indiana. Bogota. We have a Versailles. Maybe it I'm is Bogota. To say Bogota. Russ, look that up, please. Abe Bogota. Bogota. <laughs> Isn't a Bogota the thing that you stand That's under? That's a Pagoda. That- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, Dr. Miller reported Harrison had a sinking pulse and cold blue extremities. And after eight days of delirium and pain, probably from the opium and enemas. Mm-hmm. And he ha- ate a ton, too. Go ahead. He tried to eat his way out of it. He was like, "When I need food okay. because food gives me strength. And he also, being a man of honor, mm. he wanted to personally hand an offer of a diplomatic post to John Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-E. Okay. And so he, while feeling sick, trudged through slush and snow. Still no coat. I Maybe he just didn't have a coat. Fie on coats. Uh, just because he felt like an honor-bound man yeah. he did personally deliver it to him. So He soldiered he, on. He, let's just... TLDR. He didn't really handle his sickness What's well. What's TLDR? I still... Too long, didn't read. Okay, got it. Yeah. That's uh, the okay of, of our current Yeah, no, sure it is. He's going to John Taylor, Taylor. and he's Taylor. like, hey, you're going to be a something or other? I'd like to think that his name was John Taylor, but people in their old-timey handwriting did a weird R, and they John were like, Taylor, Taylor. Yeah, Taylor. It's like <laughs> CeeLo. John Taylor Thomas. John Taylor Thomas. He's yeah. on Home Improvement in so, 1840. The... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No one he was actually the voice of Simba in Lion King. But um, go ahead. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. He will look it up. Look it up. Not the singing voice, the speaking voice. So we have derailed because this guy died 17 minutes into office and we have to fill this time. While he's sick, no one's ever thinking about, you know, his vice president. But I don't know, Russ, as our vice presidential expert, do you have anything to say about that? Well, John Tyler served as the president of the Senate for Two hours, and then he went home to Williamsburg, Virginia. See you guys. 
And actually, while he was at home, William Henry Harrison tried to reach out for his help in deciding which one of the Martin Van Buren cabinet members he should keep Hmm. and which he should let go. And John Tyler's answer was just really didn't have an answer. was like, yeah, they're fine. Just keep them. Like it was a, I got a non-answer answer. On the homestead. <laughs> got slaves to own back home. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. And in that time, there wasn't really, in this short period of time where yeah. he was vice president, there wasn't a whole lot of interaction other than they met to review a parade together Ooh, in that, Virginia. That sounds nice. Yeah. Like a military parade? Sure. Okay. All yeah. right. They did not talk about politics. They just Which looked is probably at, good for Tyler since... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole reason the they they pulled Tyler was because he was... Available. Available and from a slave endorsing state. Yeah. Mm. They were like, we got to even this out. They went through eight candidates before Tyler. The Whigs. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, and no one wanted to be vice president because this was still the I have to be secretary of state to be president era. Yeah. And they kept asking people and they were like, I don't know. What about Tyler? And he was like, Yes, yes, please. Huh. No, please. I, I wasn't asleep. I yeah. would love, I would love to do nothing. Sure, and go yeah. back to Virginia Sounds and fine. make more money while I'm the vice president. And they were like, "Cool," without ever checking yeah. to see if he was actually a Whig, which he definitely wasn't. Yeah, he didn't even know the tenets of the Whig party. No, I don't think he he <laughs> couldn't have spelled Whig. He'd no. have been like, "I wear a wig, right? It's, that's uh, what we do. That's, that's what we do. We wear the wig." Wait, it's got an H in it? (laughs) Whig, yes. Which You're jumping ahead. I am. But you know what? I admire your excitement about John Tyler. Yeah. Well, not excitement, but... So I do have a fun fact. Mm, Let's go. That William Henry Harrison and John Tyler were actually related. Wait, what? Yes. By blood? Marriage? How how, how did this happen? (laughs) They were fourth cousins... Once removed. Okay. All right. I feel like we need to change your title from vice presidential expert to cousin expert. Because just about every one yeah. of your vice presidential quips yes. comes with a cousin accoutrement. Mm. Sure. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of people in the U.S. at that time. <laughs> yeah, the 60,000 that showed up to right. that uh, one. The, the rally. The rally yeah. was like half the country. Wait a second. You're my... You're my mom's Somebody's daughter. Wait, going wait, in 1840, on, there were 2.4 million people here. <laughs> if you're my uncle's daughter, no, that totally means we can get married. Yeah, there's no, no nepotism here. No, that's fine. Continue, Russ. They shared a third um, great grandfather, which I've never heard of that relation before. Hmm. But his name was William Armistead. Okay. And he emigrated from England to Mojack Bay. <laughs> Mojack. M O B J A C K. I can't. Mobjack? Mobjack. 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 In 1637, on a ship called the Tristam and Jane. (laughs) The ship had two names? There's so many frivolous details in that story. Mobjack. (laughs) Mobjack. A mobjack either sounds like a group of animals. I like that you did point out that a guy named Armistead was from England. Like we knew. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Wait, he's not from Bangladesh? <laughs> yeah. What? 
So that's 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 pretty cool though that they're related. Yeah, I agree. Are you sending that's a the telegram vice presidential to someone? Update. Oh that's god, the ticker tape. Oh, you were yeah. doing the music. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. That means I don't have to do it. Right. Thank you. Just Perfect. cut that Boom. for every vice presidential update. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I'm the musician of the group. Oh, I love it. Uh, Russ, anything else about Turd of a Human John Tyler? Not yet. Okay, thank you. All right, well. So we have Garbage Human. Yeah, Aaron Burr. And we have Turd of a Human forthcoming. Forthcoming John Tyler. But who was the other one? Uh, one of the Clinton. Uh, DeWitt. DeWitt Clinton. You, where would you classify him? Mm, low. I don't know that I would put because the Clintons didn't necessarily do anything negative towards the country, like John Tyler. We're talking about the New Amber. York Clintons, yes, of, yes, yes, of eighteen hundred. Yeah, not the they, current Clintons of Arkansas. Right, the Dewitts and the Georges—they were a political machine. Yeah, but they weren't necessarily traitors or loose with their emails. <laughs> not no. What's an email? That was going. That was going with traitor with Aaron Burr, but I guess also traitor would yes. fall under John Tyler. Oh man, I can't wait to unleash the uh, animosity that you have within you for John Tyler There's on the next be some episode. Vitriol. I can't wait. Yeah, there will be great usage of vitriol, by the way. Yeah. So Harrison dies. He's the first American president to die in office. Doctor Miller listed Harrison's cause of death as pneumonia. Modern scholars, however, think that the explanation might be more complicated of how Harrison died. DC had no sewer system at the time, and the White House and its water supply was only mere blocks from a marsh that held a depository of, quote, night soil, end quote, which was basically human feces that was hauled in every day. So Harrison likely suffered from enteric fever caused by one of two bacteria, which names I can't pronounce now after three glasses of this Harrison bourbon. It was COVID-1. COVID-1. <laughs> covid <laughs> COVID-1841. It just devastated his gastrointestinal system. So he probably died of typhoid fever as opposed to pneumonia. Pneumonia was the one thing, though, that Dr. Miller was able to say, okay, his symptoms look like pneumonia. I've got to put something. The public is wanting an answer officially about why is our president dead? I'm going to put pneumonia down. But check this out. This is really interesting. Two other presidents, Zachary Taylor and James Polk, also suffered severe gastroenteritis while living in the White House. And Taylor, like Harrison, passed away in office. So it very well may have many doctors and historians who are not on this podcast theorize that it was not necessarily pneumonia that killed William Henry Harrison from not wearing his top hat and his coat and his gloves and his scarf on his inauguration, but most likely the water supply of the White House, that bacteria, other other things that got into the sewage system that was flowing back into the White House, the water supply most likely killed him. Or malpractice. <laughs> 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 or, yeah, I mean, it could have been the, the cure was worse than the disease, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, the, I've read a little bit more about it, and, like, it seemed like everything he did to combat whatever he possibly had was the opposite of what should have happened. Yes. Now, granted, they only knew what they knew. It was a real Rumsfeld situation. Wow, unknown unknowns. Well, there were too many unknown unknowns yes. at the time. But that doctor didn't do him any favors. <sighs> Thomas Miller. 
Yeah. Yeah. Tom. Come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. Well, the country had never mourned a president before like this. I mean, no one had ever died in office. No one really knows what to do. But we figured out how to send him off in style. After a simple service in the East Room of the White House, 24 white-sashed pallbearers carried Harrison's body in a funeral procession watched by more than 10,000 people. His saddled but riderless horse, Old Whitey, followed the procession to the Capitol. Later, when the cold winter in Ohio was finally over, Harrison was transported down the Ohio River via a series of black-draped barges, arriving at his final destination of North Bend, Ohio. Before his death, he had requested a spot there overlooking the Ohio River and the corners of Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. William Henry Harrison's burial site is located on land originally owned by his family and now called the William Henry Harrison State Memorial Park in North Bend, Ohio. So, a couple of things. Go ahead. One, whenever people are dying in office or even previous presidents that die, the East Room is still used as yes. the place to put the body. I don't, I can't, the word is is escaping me. Okay. Lying in state? Yes. Yeah. That's, they, yeah. they still to this day use the East Room based on what they decided to do with Harrison. Henry Harrison. They also had no idea who was supposed to take the presidency. Dude, this was a first for everybody. Okay, so Article 2, Section 1, Clause 6 of the Constitution had a little bit to do with the succession of the presidency, but it clearly provided for the vice president to take over the powers and duties of the presidency. Correct. In the event of a president's removal, death, resignation, or inability. But it was unclear whether the vice president formally became president of the United States or simply temporarily assumed the powers and duties of that office in a case of succession. So we could have a considerably different country right now yes. had they interpreted that differently. Absolutely. Because what they did, which we'll dive way more into in the next episode, Tyler, yeah. is they said, take the oath now. Yes. If you take the oath, you're the president because oaths are important and and that's what matters. And if they had decided to say, actually, what this means is you have the duties and responsibilities. We're going to hold another election. Yeah. Which they could have done. Yeah. I mean, based on, you know, the written word. Sure. They definitely could have done that. We could have had multiple different elections throughout the time and we could be doing... One through, I don't know, 53. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, I mean, granted, some of these vice presidents could have been elected, but it was a, a tense fight uh, Absolutely. for Tyler. And they still didn't pass the amendment until 1901. No, 1967, bro, was when it was oh, actually okay. written into the Constitution. Right, right. The 25th Amendment. Because after one. Tyler immediately took the oath, yeah. they were like, every time a president died, they were like, all right, take the oath. Well, like this is this was the precedent yes, that we set. The precedent so, for the president. Yeah, so let's let's continue this and then eventually somebody was like, "Hold on. Yeah, wait a second. Like if we really read the constitution, yeah. we should probably write this in that this is law because somebody could fight this." Because yeah. up until to your point 1967, yeah. yeah. Somebody really could have taken that to court yes. and argued constitutionally, they only have the power of the president. They are not the president. Correct. Yeah. So Harrison's cabinet insisted that Tyler was the vice president acting as president 
John Tyler, however, was like, nah, man, I'm president. Well, him and a bunch of advisors. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, we're going to dive into that a lot more in the next episode. But it's such an interesting thing because there were seven other occasions when an incumbent president died. And it took until 1967 in the 25th Amendment for it to get finally fleshed out. I would say that that... And diving ahead a little bit into the next section, that's yeah. his biggest legacy. Mm-hmm. 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 Because, I mean, obviously, the upfront in your face legacy is shortest tenured president. Sure. Yeah, you're you're a punchline or an answer to a trivia Jeopardy question. question. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that was the other thing I wanted to bring up in little known facts. But I would say his biggest legacy is how the president secession succession works. Yes, because. It worked that way for another hundred plus years yeah. before it became law just because that's how it worked for him for the first one. Yeah. Hey, we're going to refresh our beverages and let you hear from one of our fantastic sponsors. Thanks for listening to the Presequential Podcast. Hey guys, it's Ryan. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Do you grind your teeth in your sleep? If so, you're among 40 million other Americans who do. Whether it's stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite, chronic teeth grinding will lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. The number one teeth grinding prevention recommended by dentists is the custom-fitted night guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging $200 to $300 per guard, and you'll grind through several a year. Using Smile Brilliant's Lab Direct process, you can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. Additionally, Smile Brilliant has custom-fitted teeth whitening trays and the Cara Pro electric toothbrush. Head over to SmileBrilliant.com and use Presidents at checkout for 30% off. 30%. Once again, that's SmileBrilliant.com and use Presidents at checkout. Hey, we're back. Thank you wherever you are for listening to the Presequential Podcast. Do you want to dive into William Henry Harrison's legacy? I would. And I think that there's two sections of it. I think that there's a section of it if you're from Indiana. Mm. Well, let's do it. Because I think that especially for all of us who grew up here, who went to grade school here, we all have to do Indiana history at some point in middle school. Yeah. And we tout William Henry Harrison as the Indiana president. Yes. And so we kind of see him differently. We kind of take credit for him, even though he's a Virginia president. Yep. Because they consider the president where you're born. Who also did a lot in Ohio. Right. And yeah. Ohio also also takes credit for him. I think in the same way that with Lincoln, like Illinois does, Kentucky, Kentucky does, in Indiana, Indiana does. Yeah. But I think that like overall, it's... A relatively overlooked presidency, but I think his big legacy is he was an amazing leader. Mm. If you look at how he led while he was both a congressman and overturning a race for himself, yep, never wanting to campaign negatively in a time that negative campaigning was the was way. the thing, yeah. And then you go back to his time in the military, and I would have loved to serve under him. And I wish that I read this book before I became a leader in the military. Mm. Because there are things that I took away. Like, to your point earlier, when you asked about the early morning parade drills, yeah, it doesn't say it in the book, but I believe if he put that punishment on those soldiers, from everything else I read in this book, it seemed like he was the type of person that he would have been out there watching them do it. Yeah. He would have woke up 
at 4 a.m. Yep. And watched them do their punishment mm. and was there alongside them. Yeah. There's a good leadership trope that you'll never ask your soldiers to do something that they don't think you would do yourself. Mm. When the something needs swept, you're not afraid to pick the broom up and sweep sure. it. And they see you do that and it has a huge impact on mm -hmm. them. He seems like that type of leader to me. And so... For me personally, like his legacy was like, there are leadership examples I took out of this book yeah. that I'm going to carry through my military career as I, you know, move through it. How do you think the country today would have been different? Let, let's let's jump to a time machine. He, he puts on an overcoat. He's maybe drinking different water <laughs> in the White House. But let's say he bundles he's a up. Doctor. He's got a better doctor. Let's say all those factors are, are different. How would our country be different, in your opinion, if he actually was president for four to eight years I, uh, that's a instead tough of question. seven I, minutes? I think that he would have handled the California and Mexico things differently okay? because it becomes like it's a handful of years after him. But, but well, still, but yeah, if, if he does eight, right, yeah. that takes him through the first uh, pulp term. Yeah. And that's the beginning of the, the yeah. Mexican-American War. I think he handles that a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I'm, man, I, it's possible that the shape of our country is different. Mm. It's possible that Geographical? He, yeah, geographically. Yeah. I, it's possible that he, I, and I would actually go the other way, it's possible that he actually continues aiding into Mexico. Mm. Because that's kind of how he rolled as yeah. a military leader was like, all right, we've won. Let's take the momentum. Let's keep going. Yeah. Because he did that into Canada in the World War of 1812. And the way that the Mexican War shaped out that we'll talk about in the future, we kind of took the spots that Polk wanted, El Paso basically, out to San Diego. Okay. And we were like, this is what we originally wanted. We're cool with this. We had the military advantage at that point to push all the way down into Mexico City. Mm. And the Mexico general at that point was relatively inept okay, and would have been really easy to just keep pushing. Mm. So I think we have a geographically different country yeah. with him as president. And in today's eyes, we may see him more negatively mm. because of that. Expansionism. Just trying to think about things like all-encompassing. Yeah. I think that those would be the two biggest changes we would have seen. Yeah. And we wouldn't have a traitor as the next president. And Good night. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting to see his, his impact on and his legacy of, whereas Van Buren had a lot to do with the creation of the American political system, William Henry Harrison, whether it was him or his advisors or a you know combination of both, the way that they actually campaigned, the methods, the tactics that they used are still in play today. Oh, yeah. You know, you think Tippica New and Tyler, too. Like, that is such a... If you look at the power of alliteration alone, that's great. But if you look at what they did to make him into this coonskin cap-wearing, hard cider-drinking, kick-your-feet-up-on-the-front-porch-of-a-log-cabin kind of guy, and then he drops 8,500 words on you about Rome you know, in his inauguration address, whatever. But the way that his tactics have lasted for so long, you think of the simplicity of I like Ike, of make America great again. You know, just these, these, slo these slogans that have, uh, I mean, typically new and Tyler too, you may not know a thing about William Henry Harrison, but I guarantee at some point you've heard about that. 
Yeah, and I mean, even to this day, right? Like politics aside, yeah, Trump was really successful in convincing people that he was for the the common person, right? Right, and and nothing about his prior life shows that he has anything in common with the common person. Yeah. I think that Harrison did that very well. Yeah. He had nothing in common with the normal folk on the countryside sure. that were actually drinking the hard cider and living in log cabins. Yeah. He was born of a very influential political family. He was appointed out here in the West where it was, you know, a little bit more roughshod. Yeah. And he was able to use that to his advantage. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe his advisors sure. or his campaign people were, but it still holds true to this day. And I say that completely like politics aside, yeah. like the tactics and techniques that he used in campaigning yeah. still are the tactics and techniques used. Yeah. That's a hard two words to say back to back <laughs> yeah. to this day. Yeah. Part of that is sort of the the capitalistic roots of america as well to be like oh you're gonna call our guy a hard cider drinking log cabin kind of guy cool we're gonna make a little bit of coin off this we're gonna hey, somebody make some pennants we need a yeah. songbook. we need a uh it's very entrepreneurial yeah you know this is in 1840 yeah like i mean today you let's throw tippecanoe and tyler two on a hat yeah and put it right. on a flag right and let's get people fired up about yeah. this and yeah. get them to fight for you it's really interesting from a political side of things. As far as like a presidential legacy, the guy didn't have much to say. Right. You know, but from a political thing, his oh, yeah. team, his the force around him. Because I think what people have to remember about leading up to this and a few presidents after him yeah. is they were against campaigning. Mm. Like this was the yeah. first campaign. You remember they, Monroe and Madison would yeah, like ride like, their, their speeches together and be like, we should get a cup of Madeira after this. But even before that, yeah. and it was, if I'm campaigning, it's seen as uncouth. Right. It's, it's, I, I don't want to be... I don't I, want mm, the job. If it's presented upon me, I shall accept it. Exactly. Yeah. And this was the first time they were like, let's go get it. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Put on this As my kids say all the time. Let's go. Over everything. Do you want to dive into some little known facts? I, as long as we have time. Oh, man. Well, besides Old Tippecanoe, Harrison's nicknames included the Cincinnatus of the West and General Mum, as well as the Washington of the West. He produced more grandchildren and great-grandchildren than any other president. Guess how many grandchildren he had. <laughs> Russ, you got you to guess. Blaine, you got to guess. 72. Okay. Nine. One dollar. 48. 48 grandchildren. Good answer. Good, Good answer. answer. How many great-grandchildren do you think he had? Gr well, uh, 72. Okay, all right. Nine. One <laughs> 106 wow. great-grandchildren. But none... Wow. So his grandson, through his son John... Benjamin Harrison of Indiana served as the 23rd president from 1889 to 1893, flash forward, making William and Benjamin Harrison the only, to date, grandparent and grandchild pair of U.S. presidents. Kind of fun, right? In 1841, this was interesting. I did not know this till I did a little bit of research in prep for tonight's episode. In 1841, 
three people served as president within a single calendar year. Oh, yeah. Martin Van Buren, William Henry Harrison, and John Tyler. Can you name the only other time to date that this has ever happened? Oh, man. When three Uh, people served as president within a single calendar year. It would have been... Go ahead. Go ahead, Russ. Is Kennedy involved in this? Kennedy is not. No. (laughs) I'm out. It's uh, Hayes Garfield Arthur. Wow. Yes. Boom. Dude. Way to go. Yes. 1881, when Rutherford B. Hayes, James Garfield, and Chester A. Arthur each served in 1881. I was trying to think of other presidents that served short terms, yes. and I knew Garfield wasn't yes. like long for this world. That's a Jeopardy so. kind of question. Yeah, man. Mm. 40 years to the year, 1841. We'll do a true daily double, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Gentlemen, anything else to add? About William Henry Harrison. I think that going into this, I was worried that we wouldn't be able to get a lot out of it. Yeah. And I am... This, so far, is the one that I feel like I gained the most out of. That's awesome, man. I like what uh, you said where you're like, as a military officer, I'm going to take a lot from this book, Old Typical New by Freeman Cleves. Is that his name? Yeah. Eight, 1939. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I I learned a lot about William Henry Harrison this time. I I did not know much about him going into it. I actually came to Indiana in sixth grade. So whereas you two got a lot of, you know, elementary and middle school knowledge about him. And rightfully so. Yeah. You know, good grief. Governor of the Indiana Territory. Winner of the Battle of Tippecanoe. Just about 45 minutes northwest of here. I, I, I remember telling you, I think... It would have been really interesting to see what this country would have, not just geographically looked like, but what his legacy would have been had he not died as early as he did. By the way, those are all like me presupposing things and throwing oh, sure. fears out. Like, I was just guessing, yeah. speculation. Oh, I get it. That's okay. No one's holding you to that, Blaine. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Presequential Podcast. Be sure to follow us on all the socials at Presequential. That's P-R-E-S-I-Q-U-E-N-T-I-A-L, Presequential. If you loved this episode, please subscribe, share it with a fellow history buff, and leave a review. Our next episode on John Tyler will be released on May 26, 2021. Until then, thank you for listening to Episode 9 of William Henry Harrison. The Hoosier. We'll see you next time on the Presidential Podcast.